going to read the uh, liturgical calendar uh, for Palm Sunday. There are several scriptures, but uh, I think this is the most significant thing that we can do today, is to follow the scriptures then that are leading up to Easter, which would be next Sunday. The first is uh, from Mark. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, Jesus went, sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. <clears throat> if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Just say this, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed be is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king, coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next reading is from John 12, 12 to 16. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. <clears throat> so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a donkey and said on it, as is, is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And the, John often does this in the gospel. He said they didn't know what he was talking about until later. And so as we looked in Sunday school this morning, what he's actually doing in this passage is combining John. Uh, combines the passage that we read from Zephaniah and the passage from Zechariah uh, to picture the coming conquering king. Uh, the readings from the Psalms, I won't read the whole Psalm, but let me read a portion of the Psalm. This is from Psalm 118, uh, verse 22. The same stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. On this day the Lord has acted. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Hosanna, Lord, Hosanna, Lord, send us now success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. And the picture, of course, is that Jesus is simultaneously the rejected cornerstone. And the, all of this is playing out from the time that he's entering into Jerusalem. They're going to proclaim him king. But, of course, then the same crowd 
will turn on him and cry crucify him the very one that's rejected the one that you know they literally are going to destroy in three days will be raised up that it's in and through these events that uh, he's becoming true Israel true temple the other reading is from Isaiah 50 I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheek to those who pulled out the beard. I did not hide my face from insult and spitting. The Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. And the image, of course, of the tortures that Jesus goes through, the torment prior to the crucifixion. And then Psalms 31 Have mercy on me, verse 9, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My eye is consumed with sorrow, and also my throat and my belly. For my life is wasted with grief, and my years with sigh. My strength fails me because of affliction, and my bones are consumed. I have become a reproach to all my enemies, and even to my neighbors, A dismay to those of my acquaintance when they see me in the street, they avoid me. I am forgotten like a dead man, out of mind. I am useless, as useless as a broken pot. And the psalm goes on to describe the crowd that has surrounded him. They've turned against him. And then the New Testament reading from the epistles we believe is perhaps an early hymn or an early saying uh, that Paul has recorded in Philippians. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." I think it's clear that the various scriptures are brought together in the death and the resurrection of Christ. Uh, This passage, you know, that uh, the way that uh, Christ is uh, exalted is not by resisting death, but he emptied himself, uh, humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. In John, the whole development of the plot is that Jesus' identity, you know, again and again, people encounter Jesus, and how Jesus' identity comes to be recognized or how it fails to be recognized is always uh, the key. So not only is Jesus' identity progressively revealed, culminating, uh, you know, in the the uh, day of uh, uh, Palm Sunday, but by the repetitive signs, the discourses, the uh, symbolic images in John, he is many times through these signs referred to as I am, uh, the ego a me, the idea that the 
Old Testament tetragrammaton, the four-letter word Yahweh, that Jesus is saying, I am. I am, you know, the, the very strong claims for de- deity. But the, the question, you know, in Nicodemus, does he recognize, you know, well, uh, the Samaritan, the woman at the well, the, the lame man. Uh, and the triumphal entry is kind of the high point of the recognition of Jesus' kingly role. We might say, oh, look, now they understand who he is. But it is also the low point for understanding what sort of king he is. Uh, The king welcomed into Jerusalem will be crowned on the cross where in three languages. And I don't think, you know, this John tells us this, uh, that Pilate had written in three languages, the king of the Jews, that Jesus' kingship Uh, is going to be conveyed from the cross. This is no accident that uh, John is recording us, that the way that uh, Jesus' Catholicity, the word Catholic just means universal, right? The way that Jesus is universally significant is linked continually in the book of John to the death of Christ. And so as he comes closer and closer to his death, the audience for his message spreads out. So, uh, and it's at the cross then that the symbolic universality in the three languages is proclaimed. Because death was changed into life, the visible condemnation into the visible advent of the kingdom of God, in and through the cross of Christ. Here is you know, the true temple. So the question is, if one is able to recognize who Jesus is and his significance in regard to life and death. Um, This is, you know, the story at Bethany. The line unfolds gradually in chapters 11 and 12. That they do not want to go to Bethany. Shall we go up and die? And the sequence from Bethany, the raising of Lazarus. Um, You know, we might think, oh, look, this just deals with Jesus' friend. uh, And merely with life in spite of death. But in fact, it points to the life Jesus will attain and will make universally available through the cross. That it's life in and through death. So John ties Bethany and Calvary, the, the you know, Lazarus uh, is a kind of uh, uh, pointing to his own uh, resurrection. For he, is, he assures us that the affair, you know, this is when they destroyed Jesus. In John eleven forty five. the Sanhedrin comes together to plot to kill him. They say the whole world is running after this man. Um, that uh, not so much in the sense that people will admire him and praise him but in the sense that yes as the whole world is running after this man it also then culminates in his death it will is the final stage in his glorification and so the universal implications of the raising of Lazarus uh, remain incomplete until Jesus is entering into Jerusalem um and it's easy to see that Jesus rejects, you know, the crowds uh, 
exaltation of them. He reverses their kind of nationalistic interpretation of the miracle that, you know, the, the reason they're receiving him so enthusiastically. But what D, D, Jesus did for Lazarus signifies not merely life instead of death extended to one person, but life because of death, life in and through death extended to all. Don't, don't mistake what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that death is salvific, but the death of Christ is salvific because he defeats death. Near the end of the chapter, this theme appears again with the Caiaphas, you know, that one man must die that the nation might be saved. And so what is new in chapter 12 is the revelation that uh, the, the cosmic conflict has arrived. You know, this is, we did this last week, uh, that when the Greeks come, Jesus doesn't address the Greeks, or at least John doesn't uh, record that. But he, he says, my hour has come. That is that the Greeks represent the world, and now that the world is running after him, uh, that the judgment is come, the crucifixion of Jesus, that critical moment toward which he's been pointing. Maybe even in chapter 1, you know, verse 5, when he talks about uh, the Jesus is this, you know, he compares him to the tent of Moses that has been pitched. So on the cosmic level, this moment arrives, it brings the decisive victory, as we talked last week over the ruler, the evil ruler of this world, in that on, on a human level, you know, it's the, it, it's the division between the children of light from those who follow darkness. Um, that those who are oriented to death and darkness are reoriented then uh, to life through Christ. What Jesus finds in the donkey incident, uh, or what John finds there, is the attempt to universalize the nationalistic expectation of the crowd. He leaves it, you know, to the Pharisees, who says, look, the whole world is running after him. Well, that's his enemies that are saying this. And so the Johannine entry scenario is complete now. Uh, as Jesus passes you know, Jerusalem is like the jaws of death, the jaws of the city that will devour him. His enemies are going to voice the universality of his appeal. Uh, they don't understand. Literally, the whole world uh, will run after him. As we were, uh, I was thinking today, you know, if you, you look across this, this land here in Missouri... The little churches that on a Sunday morning that just people hear. But what's happening here is happening all over the world that we're commemorating these events that unfolded 2,000 years ago. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem in Japan and Europe and all over the world that literally the whole world has run after him. So what the raising of Lazarus, the embalming you know, at Bethany, the entry into Jerusalem... Uh, are looking toward in uh, chapter 20 uh, the, the, it has what we might call there is the word thanatology the god of death or you know uh, the, the, uh, the thanatological uh, understanding that death is that point 
at which the gospel is made universal. Uh, Truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He says that then when the Gentiles come, that he who, and this is in all four Gospels, he who would save his life will lose it. He who would sacrifice his life for my sake in the gospel, he who hates his life in this world, he will keep it for eternal life. So there's a kind of, you know, even in the saying there, there is this kind of uh, tension between uh, the, the sort of expectation of the kind of king that he would be. You know, how does a king normally conquer? He conquers with a sword. He conquers through violence. But this is a, a, a king who comes on a, the foal of a donkey, meek and mild Jesus who does not conquer through the sword, but he conquers then through the cross. And his followers then will take up the cross. That death and eternal life must be embraced together or not at all. That in Jesus' vision of human destiny, you know, this is baptism, this is the Lord's Supper. If the death that Jesus freely dies is what defeats the prince of the world, then we can understand that it is this destructive death resistance that is the best answer we have to how this kingdom is universal and how it prospers. In the book of Mark that I read, he goes directly to the temple. You know, what sort of temple is this? Jesus welcomes sinners. He ate with them. He's healed those who are afflicted, those with mental or or physical mental ailments. Jesus restores membership to Israel, to those who are on the margins of the society. And of course, the picture is he's going to bring all peoples into Israel, even the Gentiles. Uh, the, the sick, those who were crippled, of course, they did not have access to the temple. Uh, the, those who had moral, social blemish, blemishes. Uh, and so the healing miracles, the table fellowship with sinners are all of a piece Uh, You know, Jesus' physical contact with lepers, with the woman suffering from a hemorrhage, with corpses. You may not, you know, the leprosy scenes, I don't know if they capture you. In uh, Japan, Faith grew up near a leper. I don't, uh, I always say that and I think that that's what we called it, was the leper colony. But there was a time when all over Europe, uh, it was there were leper colonies that leprosy swept and you know killed hundreds of thousands of people. Um, that uh, in Japan, even today, those people are in a community that is rejected. You know, I've told the story about the leper uh, colony that they weren't the people from that colony were not welcome into town when Faith was a little girl. Uh, but when her father's funeral, at her father's funeral, one of the men from the leper colony, one of the, he came and spoke at the funeral and talked about first meeting Mr. Maxio. And the first thing he did, he reached out his hand to shake his hand. 
And of course, that was sort of testimony to his life that he was even able to come to church there. Leprosy in the first century was like that. There was no one who was more outcast. And so Jesus, he heals the lepers. He brings all of those who are the outcasts, those who are rejected, the Gentiles, you know. Uh, and he, he's bringing in all peoples um, so that uh, even the dead, you know, even Lazarus, um, he's going to make what is unclean clean. Uh, that uh, people of every kind of position will eat with Jesus. So the miracles, welcoming the outcasts, uh, you know, it, uh, the invite the interpretation you know they the 12 disciples are really kind of the 12 uh, tribes of Israel he's reconstituting Israel he's reconstituting the temple that Jesus who eats with the sinners it is himself the center point of this reconstituted Israel that is being called into existence John is picturing it as recreation of the cosmos, that everything is being made new. And so he, you know, this is what we pronounce over the communion table. We welcome all people. We don't invite, we don't debar, but all people are welcome. Well, that's, it's the Lord's Supper. It's the Lord's, you know, house. It's the Lord's temple. So Jesus' words that condemn the temple concerning you know, the Father's house in, in John 2, being made into a trading house. Um, of course, the, the whole idea there, it's not just that Jesus wants to save Herod's temple, but he wants to change up the very nature of Jewish worship. And the response by the Jews, the Jews always understood the temple was itself a foreshadowing of something new, a new age. And when they, you know, asked Jesus, why, uh, by what authority, why did you do this? Uh, they, they don't, they, they ask for a sign to legitimate his authority. They don't, they don't really say, why did you do this? But by what authority did you do this? And of course, Jesus is the true temple sacrifice in which his sacrifice is going to establish a new corporate body of worship in which his sacrifice both models that worship and you know it it is the sacrifice so I think he temporarily disrupts the trade that he's foreshadowing the cessation of sacrificial worship in Jerusalem for that moment while Jesus is cleansing the temple the sacrifices are no longer being sold here is a kind of uh pointing toward what's going to happen in 70 AD when the temple is completely destroyed. There is no longer any sacrifice, but we have the true sacrifice in Jesus. And John you know, uses the language, uh, uh, the Lamb of God. He's using the sacrificial language of atonement. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He uses Zechariah uh, many times, several times, that when God came to rule over the earth, worship would be pure and holy. All nations would worship in Jerusalem and there would no longer be a traitor in the house of the Lord. So Jesus, and this we get in John 9, 
is now the proper focus of worship. So here is the true center. Here is the true holy of holies. And John's gospel conveys the recognition that there needed to be a permanent substitute for the temple. And Jesus is, you know, here is the life and worship of God's people. Here is the fulfillment of the messianic expectations uh, that there, here is the permanent temple replacement. Here is the fulfillment of the Davidic king, the promise given to Solomon at the, the temple dedication sort ceremony. Um, so uh, Zechariah envisions a temple in which the distinction between the common and the sacred would disappear. Every cooking pot, he says, in Zechariah 14.21, every cooking pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be sacred to the Lord of hosts. Uh, all peoples. In this temple there will be no need for traders and money changers to provide you know, sanctified currency and commodities. Every man will you know, be a, a, a teacher. All men will be priests. And if then John presents Jesus' action as on, focused on the traitors, the le- explanation, I don't think that it's, he's indicting uh, the temple so much. You know, I don't know that Jesus cared about Herod's temple very much, but it's an eschatological pointing to a new kind of temple. For John, the time for fulfillment of the promise of this eschatological temple is now here. Uh, And the Lord then, here we come, here we come. The Lord has come to his temple through his death. Uh, He was going to, you know, destroy this temple and he will raise it up. He will become the true temple. Uh, He will raise it up in three days. And so next Sunday, Easter Sunday, that's where we're headed. The entry into Jerusalem and the trial and crucifixion and 